This is Masters in Business with Barry Ritholtz on Bloomberg Radio. My special guest today is Jonathan Miller. He is president and CEO of Miller Samuel. The firm is best known for supplying data and analytics to the real estate industry. Anytime you see a report from one of the major real estate brokers showing houses that are on the market for how long, what the state of the market is, the odds are that Jonathan is the man behind that. Jonathan Miller, welcome to our shelter-in-place version of Masters in Business. Very glad to be here and uh, getting a break from the the self-quarantine. Talking to another human being is always nice. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on. We're recording this the last week in March. Uh, Normally, this is the time of year when we would see a ton of new real estate listings and open houses and really the kickoff of the spring selling season. How's the real estate market? (laughs) It's, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the, The fact is there's very little data to test the water, so to speak. Really, the only thing we're seeing right now that is in real time, because real estate generally is a you know, much slower moving type of uh, asset class, is the change in patterns of listing inventory. So, for example, in Manhattan, for basically since the beginning of time, inventory rises from year end of any given year, whether it's a weak or strong market, through the end of March. And uh, over the last five years, it's averaged about a a 10% increase, plus or minus a couple percent every year. And this year, it's down 9%. So we're we're not seeing people put properties on the market. And that literally is one of the only valid data points right now in the housing market, at least in New York. We're, We're seeing stories about contract activity, but that's actually misleading because contracts typically... I think when people think of a contract, they think of, you know, when buyer and sellers sort of shake hands and, you know, boom, um, that's the that's the contract. But the reality is the contract data that we're seeing now re- represents two to three weeks ago. An offer is made. It's accepted by uh, the seller and then you have um, or, or vice versa. And then it goes to the attorneys and takes a couple of weeks. So I really think next week or the week after is where we're going to start seeing the real uh, slowdown uh, in activity. So real estate on a big lag. Last week, I saw a really amusing article on Bloomberg News. People are still putting their mansions on the market. And is that really going on or is that still part of the lag that might have been happening in February and the beginning of March, but its listings have dropped off? Listings have dropped off, at least in uh, you know what we're seeing. When you look at January and February this year, after at least in New York Metro, it's been a it's been a tough couple of years with the onslaught of uh, new taxes beginning with the in 2018 uh, and then into 2019. All kinds of headwinds for housing, and then there was someone. You're referring a, to the change in the salt deductions. Salt tax. We had the uh, the rent law, which punished you know landlords which is primarily what investors are uh, we also saw an increase in the mansion tax transfer tax so there's a lot of headwinds uh, you know to use that uh, phrase or word and now 
Um, we have this, we and we saw an uptick in sentiment. Um, a lot more offers are being made. And all that is sort of out the window because we have a new sort of milestone to uh, grapple with in the market, and that's the uncertainty of the virus. You know, it's interesting. Um, a lot of comparisons have been made to other seminal events in real estate, like the uh, 9-11 moment, um, like the Lehman moment, and they're all very different in scale and, you know, and what actually occurred. But what's a little different this time is that in those prior two moments, uh, there was actually a, a, another, a new day. And the further you got away from that moment, you could, you could sort of process it, the tragedy, and start thinking about the future. Right now, we don't know other than anything other than it's got further to go and we don't know how much further it has to go. So there's, there's definitely a, a grayness to uh, the outlook so one little ray of sunshine amongst all this negativity, the Fed took rates down to zero. That has to be good for mortgage rates or not. Tell us what's going on with mortgages. Well, if you look at uh, Freddie Mac's 30, uh, over the last 30 days, the 30-year fix, uh, mortgage rates actually are a little bit higher now than they were at the end of February. And, and one of the reasons is uh, just capacity that Many lenders um, laid off a large amount of processing staff six or nine months ago when there wasn't much action going on in um, you know changes in rates and there was some stability. Um, in addition, uh, especially on the in the refi world, there's a tremendous concern about liquidity. In other words, you know when you have uh, escalating layoffs, rising unemployment. And people will say, you know, in the middle of their application and they lose their job. That is a, a much different risk profile uh, than if we were in the conditions we were, you know, a couple of months ago. So um, the low rates in many ways have fallen on deaf ears in the housing market. Initially got everybody excited that it would help housing run through this crisis. But I think it's have it'll have limited effect certainly better than not doing it but not not much tangible evidence that it's going to make a difference i was kind of fascinated jonathan by something i read about on your weekly newsletter and i was very surprised to read that brokers are now hiding the number of days that houses have been on the market from buyers what is that about why would anyone imagine that that is helpful to buyers? And shouldn't we be in favor of more transparency in these transactions? Well, Barry, you, uh, you hit it on the head that we should be in favor of greater transparency. Uh, what the real estate community or the brokers have been grappling with um, in many markets is that you know things have slowed down before we came into this crisis in certain segments of the market and uh, they've been dealing with anxious sellers. And then we have this crisis and it, you know, it's being presented as let's give the sellers a break and let's essentially, there's no other word for it, but hide the calculation for days on market on some list sites like in New York street easy, which is owned by Zillow is uh, announced that they will be hiding days on market. Same thing. 
with the Real Estate Board of New York, which is somewhat of our local uh, multiple listing system. And we hear, hear of this in other parts of the country, but other parts aren't. The problem is with this is that it ignores, I mean, last time I checked that there's a buyer and a seller in each transaction. And the buyer <laughs> is essentially this data is being hidden from them. The problem is, or, or actually the, the, you know, what's actually happening is the raw data, like the listing dates, things like that are not being hidden. But when you open and look at a listing, it, it'll, instead of saying, you know, on the market 108 days, it'll just be blank or not or, or hidden. And to me, that breeds that will breed future distrust between the consumer and the real estate community. And I think the, the actual reason they're doing it, having talked to many agents about this over the last couple of weeks, because I've sort of been sparring with the community about this specific topic, is that the actual motivation is really not to help the seller. It's to really help the real estate agent keep the listing. In other words, um, you know, consumers don't want to say, hey, you know, I'm going to take my home off the market because nothing's going to happen for the next two, three, four months. And right. they're uh, and the real estate a- agent is worried that they're going to lose the listing when they come back on the market. Somebody else might get it, and that's not good for the market. You can't cherry pick data. So, Jonathan, why not a more targeted solution than not reporting this? Why not just toll days on the market for I don't know ninety days until the coronavirus theoretically passes? Let's say this crisis is over in 90 days, and then we all go out and, and you know start you know rates are low and we start buying up houses um, you know as a nation. The reality is that every house that was on the market during this period has an additional 90 days added to the days on market. The consumer is not stupid. They're they are going to understand that we just came out of this. So to me, it's it's a lot about nothing. It's not going to help stimulate sales activity, and it endangers the idea of people coming back in because they're going to say, "Well, are these numbers real now? Are they being tweaked?" Um, I I just think the whole idea is a bad idea. So what's going on in the world of uh, appraisals? How are people doing appraisals on either refis? or new purchases if everybody is socially distancing. Right. It, it was quite astounding. Up until a week ago, prior to, to last week, uh, when there was an announcement by FHFA, which is the regulator over Fannie and Freddie, uh, and there were some standards being set for allowing praisers when mortgages are, are done, not to physically inspect a property if they're in danger. And um, we were getting, for a couple of weeks, uh, we stopped inspecting interiors of properties in New York uh, prior to Cuomo, the governor's um, uh, shutdown or, or quasi-shutdown. Uh, and because I, I just couldn't put my staff into harm's way. Uh, we had a couple of close calls and it, it seemed crazy, especially when it became apparent that you don't have to be you don't have to be symptomatic to be a carrier. So not only are we putting our staff into harm's way to do an inspection on a mortgage uh, appraisal, but we're also putting the homeowner or the occupant of the home in danger. So that seemed out of the question. So there was a stalemate and 
across the agencies in the mortgage spectrum, appraisers were rapidly growing numbers, pushing back on being forced to do appraisals, you know, interior inspections. And so essentially what is coming out of all this pushback is that there are different types of alternatives, something that my firm is doing a lot of in New York, because our risk to our appraisers are going on public transportation. It's not that they're in a car, insulated, driving up to the curb. You know, that's really not an option in New York, uh, as it might be in the suburbs. So that what's happened is there's been these solutions that are evolving. And now we're, you know, we're doing essentially what are called desktops, where you're sitting at your desk, and it is, and we're actually getting photos from the homeowner. Um, all this is less than uh, a uh, a full interior inspection by a professional, but but the idea, and I think government's thinking is that it you know helps liquidity, keeps things moving forward. What they're not is they're not on on cash out refinance. Uh, they're not waiving the interior inspection requirement, so that beca- that makes it all problematic. Um, and, you know, the second this gets out of, you know, um, if this became mainstream where we could do um, no inspections for refis, I can only imagine the fraud and the um, the predatory <laughs> lending that would simply explode. Um, and so I don't think you're going to see as much of that in the solution simply because the emphasis is on the sales side, not the refi side. Quite fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about real estate in the time of pandemic. What can we do virtually? Can can we use FaceTime to inspect a house? Can you do these virtual 3D showings? Or is real estate one of those things that you literally have to get into the space and look around and see what's going on yourself? So I, I think that virtual uh, is is clearly going to be a an option for many during this crisis, but I don't think that it it goes mainstream. I think it's more on the margin, uh, and I think because of the human element of you know the sort of the passion around housing, I think it's it's a lot harder to convince many people with their largest asset. Uh, in play here uh, to just do a, a sort of an all digital. However, that's the thinking now, and uh, you know that may change if this goes long enough. Uh, this crisis goes long enough. One of the things that has been really problematic that I think will co- will benefit from the the virtual uh, phenomenon would be uh, actual closings. Uh, you know, you can be in a state like Maryland where you can do. Uh, closing almost entirely on a single iPad and uh, you go across the line to say Virginia and it's, you know, you're signing papers uh, that say you signed another paper, you know, the tremendous, um, you know, tremendously inefficient. And I think there's going to be a lot of cleanup of that. Uh, One of the things we're seeing in the appraisal industry or the valuation in general is um, something that we call uh, curbside appraisals. And the idea is that uh, you, you know, if you're in the suburbs, the appraiser drives up to the front of the house, uh, they can, you know, if there's nobody around this, you know, social distancing, they can kind of walk around the exterior of the property. But they physically, uh, you know, and a friend of mine actually just uh, wrote about this in California, he's already doing it, 
where you call the homeowner on FaceTime and then they literally walk you through the house and you point, you know, ask them to point in certain directions and make sure that you can see things. And then while you're doing it, because you can't capture the video with FaceTime and, you know, I'm sure there'll be alternatives or there is an alternative. Um, they're just doing screenshots of the video screen that they're, they're viewing the house on to capture it so that when they deliver the report to the client, whether it's a lender or a private individual, uh, that there's some digital reference, you know, visual digital reference to the interior of the home. And I, I think this is going to play out uh, significantly after this aftermath, in the aftermath of all this. So, so that makes sense for appraisals, and that certainly makes sense to be a little more virtual and efficient on closings. But I keep coming back to the issue of how every piece of property is u- unique. Photographs don't really capture a neighborhood, the unique view of a given property, the feel you get when you walk into certain houses. There are certain certain architecture that just has this the right energy, the right vibe, and sometimes you walk into a house that looks spectacular online and, and you're immediately recoil. It, there's just something off about everything. So while, the while smell, appraisals... Or the, the <laughs> smell, you know, uh, which, you know, we can run into too, or, you know, you're next to, um, you know, you have a, a property out in a rural area and there's a tremendous odor from the farm. <laughs> coming, you know, coming from your neighbor. I mean, there's all kinds of problems with, you know, going completely virtual. That's why I'm very skeptical uh, that that it replaces the in-person experience. And I know the appraisal industry itself is very worried that banking will just go all virtual and then worry about the consequences later in terms of collateral valuation. Um, and you know that I'm not that worried about that, but I certainly is a concern. And for homeowners, I just have a hard time processing, and maybe that's just me, of of you know a first time buyer just buying something online. You know that's challenge enough with a car doing it the first time, um, but you know a house I think is is a little bit more. There's more intangibles. There can be little doubt about that, and and we haven't even talked about inspections where someone literally has to come and look at the foundation, look at the roof, look at the plumbing, the electrical system, all, all the machinery. How can you do possibly do that virtually? You can't. Or, or you, anything you do is something less than an inspection, and the something less could be a little less or dramatically less. And and that's the problem. Um, um, you know, one of the things that if, if, the, if this – carries on, um, this crisis carries on longer than anybody thinks, and we have a severe economic, you know, uh, meltdown or whatever you want to call it going forward, uh, there's going to be a tremendous amount of cleanup on the other side in terms of foreclosures and workouts and, you know, properties that shouldn't have been purchased for what they were purchased because the property is not what it appears. Um, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of concern about that. I just have to share a funny story with you. You've been to my house. I've been here almost yeah. six years. When, when we first saw this house online, there's a whole long story I'll spare everybody, but I had set up a Zillow 
alert. I want a contemporary house either near the water or near the woods with the master bedroom on the ground floor, the laundry room on the ground floor, and I wanted it to be contemporary. And I kept on getting these crazy $30 million mansions in East Hampton. To find a regular house like that was rare. Lo and behold, our house in Locust Valley pops up, and we go to see the house, and every time we go to visit the house, the owner is cooking something. They're frying bacon, they're, they're, they're baking muffins or cookies. I mean, we visited the house seven or eight times, and no matter what time of the night or day, stuff was being cooked. And we get the engineer's report, and it says part of the roof has been replaced. It's a contemporary house with a flat roof. Of course, flat roofs are a big pain in the neck. And uh, the engineer says, this was repaired, you should, and the house is 30 years old, you should plan on replacing the, the roof sooner rather than later, because it's going to be a problem. Lo and behold, we move into the house, and within a week, you could smell the mold, you could smell, mold right. is really the wrong word, you could smell the dampness from the leaking roof, and fast forward three years later, we replaced the entire roof of the house, it was not inexpensive. The smell was the frying bacon. That was the hint. They were covering something up. Well, I I had uh, an experience uh, probably uh, probably ten years ago in a litigation where the retail uh, store. This is a condominium in Manhattan, and the retail store at at the street level was a Starbucks, and they had and the landlord had incorrectly vented. Uh, the um, exhaust from from the store, and it was getting it was fl- the the smell of like Jamaican Blue Mountain um, bold coffee mm, was a hundred percent of the air in the apartment right above it. You could you could hardly think of anything else, and imagine trying to <laughs> litigate that virtually. It's it would be impossible. I want to talk a little bit about what the marketplace is going to look like. After um, we get through this coronavirus, I'm assuming one day this will pass and things will start getting back to normal. What is that going to look like and how dependent is it on how severe and long-lasting our lockdown is? So I think the future is highly dependent on how long the lockdown lasts. You can imagine if the longer that the lockdown lasts, the more damage to our economy occurs, even with the stimulus money that's um, you know coming coming out. the uh, The problem is that if this runs very long, you're going to have a much higher un- unemployment rate, and in, in theory, then that cuts down on potential purchasers for properties. You know, one of the if it's a short window, then you know there's a greater probability that you know the market recovers quickly. Uh, but we have no way of knowing, and there literally at this moment there is virtually no data that reflects, you know, in a, in a large, you know, something that's available and clean and speaks to the whole market. So, longer the crisis, the more the damage, the bigger the hit to the housing market. Let Let's take a reasonable scenario. Let's say the lockdown is two months. And sometime by the middle of May, we start 
crawling out from our shelter in place and social distancing and things get back to normal, more or less, what sort of real estate market are we looking at then? Do we resume the spring selling season or do we lose half the season? What what happens then? I, I think then at that point, the spring selling season has essentially passed us by. Uh, because I don't think it's, it's gonna, the market's going to snap off like you know flipping a switch. Um, what you might see is uh, the market being pushed to the fall. You know, I think of an annual housing market. I always describe it as a two hump camel, spring and fall, and the the spring hump being much larger than the fall hump. We could very well see uh, a big fall, uh, you know, a large release of pent up demand if unemployment doesn't you know, surge out of control. I mean, that's really, you know, the, the, the liquidity of being able to make payments on mortgages and all that is really you know, kind of determines that. Um, the other thing is, I think what this, what is maybe a silver lining in the sense that in, in markets that have been deteriorating over the last couple of years, and that certainly skews to the higher end, uh, higher end markets and, and not, uh, sort of lower priced or, or mid-range type markets. Um, higher end markets, you, the problem has been is that sellers have been anchored to you know the market conditions several years ago. Uh, and this, in my view, would clearly accelerate their, their ability to see the market as it is as opposed to the way it was. And the reason I see that is um, you know, anytime you have an economic event, a milestone, um, the consumer starts to, you know, you're unable to look before the milestone occurred to, as some sort of basis of rationale for, you know, what you think your home is for today. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of that going on. Um, um, and I think my gut, if we're talking about May, that feels incredibly optimistic. Uh, just in the context of the virus and, and how it'll spread, it seems like the earliest would be something more on the lines of July. And you mentioned the tendency of sellers to be behind the market. We saw something very similar uh, in the early to mid-2000s as we headed into the financial crisis. Sellers always seem to be remembering the peak of the market, but they don't seem to recall the recent drop. Is is that just a persistent quality of real estate that that people want to get the top and and they not paying attention to what is actually taking place within their local market, especially in a multifamily market, you know, in a city where you might have properties in the same unit line. You know, you own 15A. You know, 20A sold three years ago for X. So you want to be five or ten percent more. This is very common, even though they missed, you know, that there was some sort of, you know, big downturn in the market. They're, you know, they're looking in public record and saying, "Well, that's the last sale." And the problem with that is that it takes seller that's anchored to the wrong number um, one to two years, at least in my observation, to decouple or de-anchor from that incorrect number, not feel like they left money on the table at the closing. And now we have, uh, and, and we, and I think that's one of the reasons why in New York anyway, we saw this uptick in sentiment in January because the sellers just went through two difficult years in the market with all the new taxes. 
And this seemed to be a fresh start entering 2020. And now that's that's gone. So you mentioned taxes as suppressing um, the real estate market the past couple of years. What about this two trillion dollar bailout? I keep reading about all of these goodies sprinkled throughout that are going to help either real estate developers or real estate investors. What what's in this uh, bailout package for the benefit of real estate? Well, I think there's uh, there'll be hopefully, uh, from what I can tell, there'll be some relief for landlords. Um, the the problem with uh, and this is something I'm not clear is in the bailout is that a large portion of the real estate community are independent contractors and they are therefore not eligible for unemployment. So this could be a real problem. I think anything coming into the economy is going to be uh, helpful. I just don't know if it's soon enough um, to help small, you know, small uh, independent contractors that are going to really be uh, challenged financially over the next two, three, four months. Jonathan, who are independent contractors? Do you mean real estate agents, appraisers, yes, inspectors, real or agents, real estate agents, home inspectors? Uh, a large, the majority of appraisers, um, people that are servicing their real estate industry, the vast majority, you know, with the exception of executives, tend to be uh, independent contractors. So they're very much at risk um, in. Uh, going forward um, without some sort of uh, help. I know there have been uh, attempts to lobby to put this in, but I'm not clear whether that's included in this uh, stimulus package. Huh, quite interesting. So so based on, w- without guessing whether this lasts till May or July or beyond that, just based on what you've seen January, February, March, what is the next 30 to 90 days in the real estate market look like? Well, first of all, I think uh, all the research that's going to come out at the end of the, you know, at at the completion of the first quarter, is not going to be very reflective of the conditions that have actually changed on the ground because of the lag, because this crisis is measured in days, not weeks or months. And, uh, and so, so I think there'll be somewhat of a false positive uh, in terms of, uh, you know, data that, that, uh, describes the conditions of the market. I think what you're going to have is a uh, in this period of inactivity is going to see listings removed from the market. We're going to have a tremendous amount of pent up demand built by those that uh, build up that were intending to buy that you know are not worried about their job. And assuming that rates stay low, you know you could see some sort of release of. Any, any kind, small, medium, large, but some sort of release uh, once the quote unquote, you know, coast is clear. The other, there's, it's funny, I, 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 I'm on my blog, I wrote uh, sort of a list of things that, you know, might change after the crisis is over. And one of them is, I would think that everybody that's cooped up in an apartment or, or a house uh, is starting to think about something, a larger space in the future, whether they carry it out or not. Uh, it certainly uh, provides a little oxygen for the real estate community to think about the future. We were just having that very identical conversation about how your house is laid out and whether or not the structure of your home is going to lead to either a baby boom or a divorce 
tsunami after this is over. If you're in a sort of compact space that's on a small footprint and and rises off of that, there's really nowhere in the house to hide. If you're on sort of a longer piece of uh, design with a little more um, acreage in your backyard, well, you have a place you can go and escape from your significant other just just for a break for a little bit. Uh, I, I'm really gonna. I'm really curious to see how our uh, divorce infrastructure is set up and what sort of a a wave of all right that was 30 years of marriage in three months i'm out i wonder what sort of stuff we're going to see following that i know you have a large house with a lot of places you can hide you know my house is set up like a um, railroad flat so it's much longer than it is wide or deep so if we're on the opposite ends of the house you can't even yell to each other you can't even hear anything that, that's um, actually what my my wife and i are in that same arrangement we both our home offices are on opposite ends of the house and then we meet in the middle in the kitchen and have meals together <laughs> i mean i'm simplifying uh, it a bit but but it, it kind of works <laughs> that we've been doing the same thing we we try and meet every day for breakfast at 8 30 lunch for 12 30 happy hour at 5 30 and then dinner at 6 30 and and depending on the weather, we'll either take the dogs out for a walk. The two of us, the, last week it was 65 degrees. I took the convertible out for a ride. We went for, so we're keeping a little bit of a schedule with both alone time and together time. And uh, I, I, I've been talking to friends who have some of my employees who recently got married and Man, let me tell you, this is a baptism of fire. It's, there's one thing to have a date that lasts a couple of hours. It's another thing to have a date that starts in March and ends in July. I mean, you really find yeah, out if you're yeah, compatible with someone. People are going to really learn about their partners, and uh, and we actually, you know, in all seriousness, we're expecting um, just from feedback. We uh, a large part of our practice are. Uh, legal support services. Uh, the the minority, you know, the probably about a quarter of our business really is relating to, you know, mortgage type work refinances. But we do a tremendous amount of uh, matrimonial type uh, litigation, and uh, the attorneys are getting ready uh, because <laughs> this could be a, a phenomenon. And and I think I agree with your, you know, about the birth rate. Uh, you know, we could have a baby boom and we have to figure out what to call the next generation. The pandemic boom. Well, Jonathan, thank you so right, much for, for spending some time with us. Is there is there anything else we haven't touched upon that you think is worth bringing to our listeners' attention? I don't think so. I think, I think the only, you know, sort of final point is that uh, right now we don't really know that much about the future of the housing market other than that we don't know that much about the future of the housing market and uh, this really is a developing uh, story we have been speaking with jonathan miller president and ceo of miller samuel if you enjoyed this conversation be sure and come back and check out the podcast extras where we keep the tape rolling and continue discussing all things real estate you can find that on apple itunes spotify Overcast, Stitcher, wherever your finer podcasts are sold. We love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. Write to us at mibpodcast at bloomberg.net. I would be remiss if I did not thank the crack staff that helps put these conversations together each week. Charlie Vollmer is my audio engineer. 
Michael Boyle is my producer. Michael Batnick is my head of research. I'm Barry Ritholtz. You've been listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. <laughs>